0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny." This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The world cannot tolerate God especially when they hear him say things like he does in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And then when in the course of giving his law, he assigns all kinds of punishments and curses against sin, when he promises blessings for obedience, the world can't tolerate God when he is like that. But the world has its way of working things out. And so the world sometimes loves Jesus. Thinking that Jesus is different. <laughs> Thinking that God revealed in the New Testament is somehow different from God revealed in the Old Testament. And that's a myth that is often held even by Christians that something changed in God. That before the New Testament, before the Gospel, God was an angry God. Now he's happy. That he used to be mean and vindictive, but now he's pretty nice and kind and sweet like a good friend or maybe a boyfriend. He used to be nitpicky and petty with all those details. Now he is lenient. Now he offers a wide berth. He used to be intolerant, but now anything goes. He used to be violent, but now he is peaceful. He used to be even genocidal and wrong in wiping out the nations that were in Israel's land, who worshiped false gods. He used to be genocidal and was murderous, in fact, but now he's come to a better understanding and brings life. He used to be a just God, but now he's merciful. Now he's merciful, and now he's different. Maybe you've heard those ideas, maybe you've thought them yourself. That's how God was, but look at how he is now. That's how God treated people before, but look at how he treats them now. And so, often the world and even Christians are tempted to leave behind the entire Old Testament and say, God's not like that anymore. Or to read the Old Testament and think just how lucky we are that God has changed his mind. But God does not change. He does not change. The writer of the Hebrews says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus, the Son of God, is the same God who was there from the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, who was there on Mount Sinai with Moses when God gave the law. Jesus was there, not in his flesh, but the second person of the Trinity, giving God's good law. He's there. He's permanent, never changing, but not like you might imagine. Not like words etched in stone that stand as a monument even against erosion and wind and rain. Not something impersonal like that. God never changes in this way. He never changes in that he always keeps his word. He never changes in that he always does what he promises. That's the kind of changelessness that actually matters a lot. Can you imagine having a relationship with somebody who changed all the time? What would their word be worth to you? If they changed their mind all the time, or if they took back their promises, or they were unsteady and moved about, tossed to and fro by whatever was in their face. It'd be impossible to have that kind of person for a friend, much less to be responsible to that kind of a person as God, but God is not like that, never changing, most of all, in his graciousness, that he makes promises, and he keeps them. But it also pertains to his law, and Jesus makes this clear. God's law has not changed. Those commandments that he gave at Mount Sinai still hold today because God is the same, and Jesus even takes things up a notch. He clarifies He reiterates what God says to his people, what he says to you and me, and he explains, because we misunderstand so easily, that God is not merely interested in what we do, the things we do with our hands and our feet and our mouths, but he's interested in what's in our hearts. Jesus clarifies today in our gospel lesson that God's law, which he gave at Mount Sinai, is actually far more demanding than we might think. Yes, it says, do not murder. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus clarifies the law in this way because we are so prone to misunderstanding. We love laws that simply govern external behavior. We love it because we are very good at obeying the letter of the law. If you've ever asked a child to do something, you know how this goes. (laughs) They can obey the letter of the law to a T, but will certainly find a technicality, some way to get out of complete obedience. Yes, technically, I did what you said, but I did it in my own way. Yes, technically, I did not murder. But when you neglect your brother in need, have you not also murdered? Yes, technically, I did not commit adultery. But when you have given yourself emotionally to someone, have you not given yourself altogether? Yes, technically, I did not steal. It was their mistake that they gave me too much change. Yes, technically, I have kept the law. But what's going on is that we love laws like that, that govern external behavior where we can line up alongside the mark and say, see, I've done it. Meanwhile, inside, we are dirty, rotten scoundrels. We love laws that we can obey grudgingly. Like a child who rolls his eyes and heaves a heavy sigh as he goes off to do his chores. Or like an employee who says all kinds of spiteful things about his boss, even as he does what he's told. Or like, say for instance, a taxpayer who signs that check but hates the government. Those things are wonderful to us, as a matter of fact, because they allow us to appear righteous on the outside. Be all squeaky clean on the outside while holding on to our sin inside of our hearts. It's the best of both worlds, isn't it? You get to look righteous to everyone else, but meanwhile you're rotting on the inside. You are what Jesus calls whitewashed tombs when we obey grudgingly. When we love the letter of the law. When we love looking good. Now, if that's all God was interested in, If all he was interested in was getting us to shape up and line up and do exactly what we're told, then he would be treating us no better than swine. There's only a couple ways you can get a pig to do something. You can terrify it, or you can trick it. But you cannot get a pig to love doing what you've asked it to do. It's impossible. You can terrify it or you can trick it, and you can get it into the trailer, but it does not want to be there. If that's all God wanted, was to get us in the trailer, to get us to line up, to get us to do what he's told us to do, then he would be treating us like pigs, but that is not what he does. In fact, he hates that. He says of his people, Israel, who were so busy going to the temple and offering their sacrifices and saying their prayers. Meanwhile, they harbored hatred and contempt and idolatry in their hearts. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so their sacrifices, the smoke that goes up, it's a stench in my nostrils. I cannot stand it, God says. That kind of lip service, those kinds of whitewashed tombs. And yet you see... How much we love being that way, how much easier it is, how nice it is to be thought so highly of by others while we hold on to whatever sin we like in our hearts. Jesus zeroes in on our hearts today. He will not let it stand. He does it to uncover all of our lies about righteousness so that you don't get to hide behind a veneer of do-goodery where you get to say, "Look." I'm not so bad as everybody else, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble, I don't do whatever you might think people find distasteful. None of that counts for anything. Jesus unmasks what's in our hearts and he says none of that is worthwhile. This is why I say to you every Sunday, it's fitting to examine yourselves. I'm not asking anybody else to examine you. I'm not asking anybody else to tell me what they think about what you do or don't do in your life. I'm asking you. To look at your heart and see what's in there. You know what's in there. I know what's in there because we are all, by nature, slaves to sin. Jesus puts it this way. He says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, these evil things, come from within. And they defile a person. That's where you should look to find out whether or not you're a sinner. That's where you should look to find out how you stand in terms of God's law. That's where you should look to find out whether or not you are a slave. Whether or not you are a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Because this, of course, is why he does all of this work. This is why Jesus preaches. This is why he has come into the world. Not just to lay bare our hearts so that we would be ashamed and exposed, but so that he can set us free. He, knowing the slavery in which we are bound, has come to set us free. That is what has happened in the New Testament. That is what is new with Jesus, that finally God's promise is being kept. That as he said so long ago, the seed of Eve would come and crush the serpent's head. This is what Jesus does. He does not come to be somehow a different God than God was before, but he comes to do exactly what God promised from the beginning. And what is required to set us free? Think about the people of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt, before Moses came and demanded that Pharaoh let God's people free. They were slaves. What is required to set them free? Their bonds have to be loosed. Their slave masters have to be brought to nothing, drowned in the Red Sea, destroyed. There's a sacrifice that has to be made so that the people are spared when God's judgment comes on the land. They must be given a new home, a land of freedom, a land of hope and promise. All of that is what has been done for you in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' death, the bonds that bound you were loosed shattered in jesus death the slave master who drove you your sin your sinful nature the devil and death and hell they were crushed destroyed so that you do not have to obey them anymore a sacrifice was offered redemption for your blood for all of the sins that you have committed and all of the wrath that you deserve on account of your sin all of the punishment that god has declared against those who break his law. That was all born by Christ to set you free. He is the Passover lamb whose blood sets you free. And a new land is given to you, a new home, a new hope, a new life, new hearts, a new will that loves what is good. All of that was done for you. That is what Jesus does for you in your baptism. This is what St. Paul is getting at when he talks about baptism in Romans chapter 6. All of you who have been buried with Christ by baptism into his death will also rise with him. As trivial as it seems, having water on your head and hearing those words, as trivial as it seems, that is what is happening to you. Pharaoh and all his hosts are drowned in the Red Sea and you are led to the Promised Land. This is what God wants from you what he's wanted from the beginning. Not that you just shape up. Not that you just make a checklist and see how you measure up, but that you would trust in him. And in trusting him that you would love him because he is merciful to you. And in loving him that you would gladly do what he commands. That you would gladly desire what he desires, that you would gladly try to discern what is pleasing to him because he is your hope and your salvation, your life and your joy. He who does not change, he loves you with a pure heart. Think of that. On the last day, as we are standing before God's throne and he says, enter into the joy of my kingdom, it is not a grudging entrance that he grants to you. He's not sort of sighing and rolling his eyes and saying, yeah, I'll just let you in because I have to. But his joy is beyond imagination because he loves you more earnestly than you could comprehend. That is why he cares about your heart, because his heart is set on you. Jesus, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, Jesus shows us God's heart, showing us that the law has not gone away, it is still good but most of all it has been fulfilled. Jesus keeping every last letter of the law and loving to do it for your sake. To him alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.